Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. And so this is what I was seeing in clinic was I was giving people all the right supplements, all the right drugs, all the right nutrition, and they would stay sick. And so I reached a point where it felt unethical to keep practicing understanding what I understand about stress, distress, and trauma, what I understand about somatic experiencing, what I understand about what we need uh, beyond Western medicine, beyond functional medicine, to get to this root cause of why we're not absorbing, right? Why, why does everyone have vitamin D deficiency? Sure, sure, we're inside too much. Sure, we're not working. Sure. But why are we not absorbing the sun we're getting, right? Why are we not absorbing our B12? Why is there so much depression? Why is there so much anxiety? There's a million studies, right? We can talk about connection. We can talk about community. We can talk about interdependence. But what's going on with the nervous system? I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. Victoria, welcome to the Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really stoked to be here. Yeah, it is my pleasure to have you here. So you're like one of a long line of people who has been referred to us by our mutual friend, Sherry Hale, who I, I say is the rock star publicist for getting yourself onto <laughs> podcasts. And, uh, nobody is better. Everybody she sends us is an amazing, you know, guest. So no pressure at all. Uh, but before we get into your work, I wanted to start asking you, what social group were you a part of in high school? And what impact did that end up having on what you ended up doing with your life? Uh, oh, that's so career? interesting. It's, it's really interesting because my first like the first voice I heard was like, uh, no group. Um, <laughs> but I mean, I guess I hung with like the nerd. Well, I mean, I went to nerd school. So the nerds amongst the nerds, uh, the theater geeks for sure. Um, and mostly I feel like a lot of my friends were outside of high school. I was a slam poet because it was the nineties and someone had to be. Um, so yeah, so a lot of my friends were in high school or outside of high school. Wait, so you said a uh, nerd school? You yep, gotta I went to nerd that. school. I can't let that go. Uh, please don't ever let it go. Um, so I went to classical high school. It was a public school in Providence, Rhode Island, greatest state in the union. I usually don't talk about being from Rhode Island this early on. They don't want to make people feel inferior. 
<laughs> well, because you well, get I, it, right? You hear Rhode Island and you're like, I could never measure up to someone from the greatest state in the union. You get it, right? Obviously. Okay. So obviously. what's the deal? Like, why do people from Rhode Island think this about themselves? I got to know. Because, like, my entire perception of Rhode Island is entirely shaped from watching Family Guy, by the way. Uh, sure. That documentary only captures a small corner of the <laughs> magic that is the greatest state in the union. And I take great umbrage with your use of the word think. We don't think we're the best. Uh, it's a statement of fact. And as a scientist, I don't really believe in fact, except for this one. Yeah. Everything else is a hypothesis. You know what I'm saying? Right. Uh, Rhode Island being the greatest state in the union is just, it's a fact. So you're welcome. Okay. And I'm glad that you and your listeners have learned something important today. Yeah. So, okay. Now that you've like clearly made us aware of the fact that it's a fact and not even an opinion. No, no. Why, why is this? It's 20 miles by 40 miles. You can't beat that. I mean, the teeniest, tiniest place with the biggest attitude. You know what it is? It's the Chihuahua of states. (laughs) I'm thinking that as like an ornery bastard of a Chihuahua sleeps at my feet. We're 20 miles by 40 miles. We will tell you what's up. Rhode Island has attitude. Rhode Island knows what time it is. Rhode Island will cut you. Rhode Island... Rhode Island is just amazing. I mean, we have more Dunkin' Donuts than we have people. Um, it's like super parochial and super diverse. And we don't really need to make this whole conversation an advertisement yeah. for Rhode Island, but, um, but it's just actually a great place. Like all kidding aside, I really, I love Providence. So, well, explain to me, like, how that has sort of influenced and shaped um, one, you know, you mentioned the, the nerd school, uh, as well as, you know, slam poetry and all that, like, like, obviously, like most people I talk to, clearly, there's no linear trajectory that leads you to this work. Um, but talk to me about that. Like, how did growing up there in particular influence, you know, what you've ended up doing with your life? Providence per se did, but um, yeah, I don't know that growing up in Providence, except that, like, because of all the schools, right? Like there's like a majillion colleges and universities, some excellent ones in Providence. Mm-hmm. I grew up, you know, going to to a lot of cultural events, like really having a sort of expansive worldview uh, that Providence really supported, you know, mm-hmm. like a lot of in high school, a lot of our teachers were um, Brown University grad students, right? Student teachers. Like in in AP Europe, <laughs> we read Howard Zinn's People Gu- People's Guide to the or People's whatever History called, of the United States. People's History, right? My brain farted. Thank you. It's been twenty plus years. Um, People's History of the United States, and then crammed for the AP exam in like the last three weeks before the exam. Okay, one like I read that book. Like I, I took AP American History in high school, and I thought it was mind numbing. I read that book, and I was like, "This is fascinating." Isn't that book banned in most high schools in the United States for being anti American? Oh, that, that I don't know. Um, well, but, but we were all about it. I mean, like. Well, yeah, it's so brilliant written. And there's a story at the very end of it about a girl who, uh, was the keynote, uh, was a commencement speaker at UC Berkeley when Madeline Albright was the, the speaker. Mm-hmm. She was the university medalist. That girl was one of my classmates from high school. Oh, how fun. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Yay. Go nerds, go. <laughs> Well, okay. So, 
slam poetry. Like, what is the deal there? Like, I, I you know, I, I talked to a handful of spoken word poets. Like, you mentioned it was the 90s. Like, I, I went to high school in the 90s. So what's the deal there? Like, what did you learn from that that has shown up in your work today? Hmm. Slam poetry was just this really, what I'm realizing now a majillion years later is that it was a somatic practice. So slam poetry was not just about the word, right? It was about the energetic of the word. It was about the felt experience in the body of listening to the words, writing the words, speaking the words, being in the energetic of the words, mm-hmm. right? And so as a somatic practitioner now, that was, that was my deep desire to be in somatic resonance coming forth through one of the few modalities I had access to as a kid. Right. And so it was a way to stand in my authenticity and to share, to try to give not just language to what was within me, but really an energetic, visceral experience, a somatic experience to what I was learning about myself, managing, moving through as a kid. Do you do you think that that is something you knew then, or is this like now that you have the words to describe it? Is that only something you recognize in retrospect? And given you know your experience and your background, like what do you think we should be teaching kids in school that they don't learn that is essential for adulthood? Okay, well, yeah, no, I mean, okay, so I'm 43, so right, so this is quite a while ago. I I know the word somatic. Um, I mean, of course, you know, I was a nerd. I was a nerd. So Soma, if someone was like, what does Soma mean? I would have probably known that it was Greek for body, but like somatic practice, like that wasn't something. There was no Kathy Kane and Peter Levine and that Ogden in my brain yet. I didn't know what somatic practice was. So no, I didn't know I was dancing with words. Mm. I didn't, I didn't realize that, that I didn't know it was a visceral exploration it was just just a thing i was doing you know um and and so your second question let me see if i'm uh what are kids not learning in school that they need to yeah, learn based on the, the yeah somatics right i uh a, a really profound way to connect in with our bodies i i it's like still shocking to me that kids sit at little desks and are told to be quiet all day instead of moving and, and, and being in the movement of being alive as a way to learn, you know, as a Mm -hmm. way to experience life, as a way to grow, um, as a way to step into ever greater presence, you know? And so mindfulness, presence, intentionality, I feel like those are the things that people really need right those are the things that kids aren't learning is how to really be present in their bodies and in the world around them uh in an intentional thoughtful mindful way i feel like most grown-ups don't know that right yeah uh, without question i, I think yeah. that that is true like i didn't really even know what it meant to be present i think until sure. i started surfing that was like the first right. experience of real presence Ooh. i had yeah the ocean will show you real quick if you're not present Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's an understatement. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. um, well, you know, just from talking to you, like from just the initial bits of our conversation, you seem to have had 
what sounds like a relatively happy childhood, but I, you know, a lot of your work apparently stems from the fact that you were dealing with um, perfectionist thinking, codependency. So I'm talking about like one, you know, based on your research, like what is the impact on how we're raised, our relationship with parents, family, et cetera, on our emotional, you know, like ecosystem later in life? Mm. Yeah. So when we think about the autonomic or automatic nervous system, which is, you know, I feel like probably a lot of your listeners have heard about the vagus nerve and polyvagal theory, and we can get into all that nerditry in a moment if you'd like. Yeah. But when we think about our nervous system, it's taking its shape ages zero to seven. Yeah. Which like, if you want to go woo, that's also in the chakra system is it's, is being written, right? Like our version, our story that creates our chakra experience. So the stories of what is safe, what is smart, what is good, what is available emotionally, um, our stories of ourself and the world are being written in early childhood, right? Our attachment experience, whether it feels safe or smart to attach to others, uh, if it is okay to be securely attached to others, right? Or if our bodies have this understanding and belief that our people may quickly come and go, right? So we shouldn't be too attached. All, all mm. of that, our attachment system, uh, and our nervous system really takes shape, um, in those initial years. So childhood has this really profound impact on our physiology. And on the physiology of our mood, our effect, our emotions, our capacity to regulate our nervous system or not. Mm -hmm. And so what we get to realize is that's not just how we're treated, what's, you know, what's around us individually, but what the experience within our family blueprint is, right? Mm -hmm. So what did our grandparents teach our parents? What did their parents teach them when theirs and theirs and theirs back and back? And so that's why ancestral uh, lineage healing is so important and coming into awareness, uh, not just of what we experience in our own bodies as infants and children and, and sm small peoples, but uh, what was experienced before and before and before. Yeah. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this, you're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Yeah, we had Mark Wollen here. Um, I can't remember the title of his book, but I, I remember it in detail because it was one of those books I read and like, you know, literally did every exercise. And he talked a lot about inherited family trauma mm-hmm. uh, and like that a lot of this trauma is actually not even yours and you can trace it back generations. Um, and I, I remember like uh, a moment in the kitchen in our apartment in Boulder, I dropped some ketchup and I was like, fuck. And my friend was like, wait, what did you do? I'm like, I dropped the ketchup. He's like, you dropped ketchup. What's the big deal? I was like, you don't understand where I grew up. Like literally my mom will be literally you'll be holding something. She's like, be careful, be careful. You're going to drop that. So you're like paranoid about everything. Yeah. And I realized it's like, oh my God, that like, you know, like that comes from the way I was raised. Yeah, of course. Of course. Right. Because your, your body, when you're a little kid, little kids, human kid, um, are really vulnerable animals. I, um, I've, been living in the country outside New York City since the pandemic. And it is very common for us to walk outside and find a placenta. And if you look around, there's a baby deer not that far away, uh, which is just wild, by the way, from Brooklyn to deer placenta. And they're born. They stand up. They nurse. They walk through the woods with their mom. You know, like, they're capable animals. And we, for a very long time, are very, very, very vulnerable. We are profoundly dependent on our adults, right? On the, the bigger mammals around us to keep us safe, to feed us, to water us, to provide shelter. We understand that our survival is dependent on the collective. Mm-hmm. And not just the collective, but these very specific humans. And so we learn easy, early to to people please, right? Mm-hmm. To keep them pleased with us, to 
you know, if they like it when we smile and they all cheer, we smile more. If, <laughs> you know, if they laugh when we have a certain, ex- do a, throw a certain thing, we do that more, right? We do the things that get us attention because attention equals survival, right? Because when the lions come, when the marauders come, the child that is most paid attention to will be remembered and will be put on someone's hip and they will run out of the village with them, right? And keep them from dying, Mm -hmm. right? And so if displeasing your mom by spilling ketchup could, in your childhood, child brain may have been tantamount to death and doom. And I know that sounds a bit dramatic, but, right? But children are dramatic because they Mm -hmm. have to be. When you weigh 40 pounds, Right. And you don't run so goodly because you're very small. Like everything is a little, it's a little overwrought because you have to survive and you're de- fully dependent on others for that survival. That's intense. Well, you're making me think of my, my 10 month old nephew and he's suddenly become mobile and I can just see the gears turning in his head every time. Like he's completely obsessed with exploring everything. He opens all our cabinet doors. Like sure. we tried to baby proof that didn't use like, Good okay, luck. everything you didn't, everything you didn't baby proof. He's like, all right. right, you guys are idiots. And in my mind, I'm thinking, I bet this guy is thinking, I can't wait to walk. So I don't have to depend on these idiots to like carry me around everywhere. For sure. Like, Cause he's so like, you know, eager to explore the world. It's amazing <laughs> to watch, yeah. like, you know, the just insatiable curiosity, like that, you know, these young kids seem to possess that we lose as we get older, but like everything is interesting to him. Yeah. Well, everything's brand new, which is wild, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So talk me through the trajectory from, you know, nursing school to doing the work that you today. And then also like, you know, one of the things that I know your work center is around, centers around is dealing with, you know, a perfectionistic thinking um, and, you know, putting others before yourself and, you know, like a lot around codependency. And as you and I both have discussed, like UCSF is about as high achieving as an, of an environment as it gets. Like I have friends who've gone to medical school. They're one of my friends from college. Then he went to Harvard to become a neurosurgery resident. So like, I know it's a high pressure environment. So talk to me about the role that that played as well. But first, give me the, the trajectory that led you there into the work that you do today. Yeah, right on. So I always had a real interest in, in health and being of service. Uh, and medicine just kind of made sense as like a, a logical next step for a nerds, nerd, 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 nerd. I can't say the word nerd enough. Uh, and UCSF was an amazing place to be, but you're right. It was, it was, uh, exigent. It was a place that, you know, everyone in my NP class, uh, it was what's, what's called, um, a, a direct entry program. So it's for folks who were in a second career and, Everyone in my program had a master's in something else and spoke at least one language other than English, usually two, sometimes three. Um, so from jump, it was a really demanding program where, yeah, perfectionism was extremely, extremely, extremely um, rewarded, right? And being the ever neurotic best at everything you were doing was the expectation. Um, yeah, I can't imagine any. Yeah, we were all straight A students. You know what I mean? Just like yeah. walking in the door, um, uh, which like, you know, it's a challenging thing because we 
we're damn good clinicians. I feel like everyone in my program, everyone who graduated my program with me, yeah, is someone I would feel safe going to as a clinician. Uh, like actually, I recently was picking a primary care provider where I live and I was reading through a bunch of clinicians profiles and I saw that this woman locally went to UCSF's MEPIN program by program. I was like sold. She's she she's she will do me right. Right. She's going to take good care of me. Um, so there's that. Uh, at what cost is the next question, of course. So right? that's part of the question. Sure. Right? So yeah. at what cost? And then also how like prevalent was this, uh, uh, you know, high achievement expectation in your own childhood? Because like as an Indian kid, that was just a default mm-hmm. for us. Like we're raised in environments of high expectations. Like you want to know why Indian kids do well in schools because we get our asses kicked if we don't. Yo, I mean, South American kids too, right? Like there was, I can't even imagine walking into my house with a B plus. Like, or even an A minus, really. Like the thought of that's kind of like, like it never actually, this is so funny, right? It never really crossed my mind that that was an option. (laughs) So yeah, like I, right? So I remember the day I was in, third grade and I was at Molly Letterer's house for dinner. What's up, Molly Letterer? Molly Letterer is as white as a white girl can get. <clears throat> Molly Letterer. Friggin' love her. And her mom serves us dinner and her mom goes, and, and Molly goes, Mom, I don't like this. And I just remember like, <gasps> just like gasping. <laughs> because, right? Let me see if you can resonate oh. with this because I, uh, the concept that you could say I don't like what's for dinner. Like there's a thing you serve me that I don't want to eat. I don't like, I'm not into this. I just was like, what? Like, how can this be? Like that, you can't do that. And her mom's like, okay, honey, I'll make you something else. And I just was like, what? (laughs) And I remember I went home and I tried that. And my mom... <laughs> You've never seen a flip flop when that chunk left fly so fast, huh? Never ever. <laughs> yeah, it, it's funny because, like, I think it, it's very prevalent in immigrant families that you just are not taught. You're taught not to challenge authority in any way at all. Like you, you kind of take it. Um, so Russell Peters, the comedian, does this bit on, uh, you know, like talking to a kid at school, and he's like, you know, some white kid basically, like, you know, calls his mom the b word, and uh, you know, and basically, you know, he like talks to Russell Peters school. He's like, man, you can't talk to your mom. Then he's like, nah, he's like, it's okay. And he's like, well, you know, I'm going to get the shit beat out of me if I do that. He's like, nah, man. He's like, just tell them you called child abuse. Um, and you know, like he apparently goes home, tries it and he gets the hell beat out of him. His dad is like, guess what, buddy? He's like, go ahead, call child abuse. You've got, you know, like, but I still got 30 minutes to beat your ass. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it, it's just one of those things. Like, but I realize also that has potential impact. Like I realized what I got when the negatives that came from that was that I didn't have boundaries in relationships as a result. Sure. Well, yeah, because you're never allowed to, it's unsafe in the nervous system to say no, to have opinions, to be in your authenticity, to, yeah, to have like the concept of presence and intentionality is, is just not there, right? It's not allowable to be your own person with your own thoughts, your own preferences, your own ideas. So right. to get us back to the question of what cost, sure. at what cost, you know, does this perfectionist thinking come? Um, and how did it end up 
impacting you in such a way that it led you to doing the work that you do today? I mean, I think, uh, well, sort of two, two parts to that. I, what I was just saying of, of not really knowing myself, not knowing what I wanted, what I needed, what I preferred, right? I, this like going with the flow again to a deep cost to myself because I, my, what was coded in my nervous system as safe was just going along, was mm. towing the line, was keeping others happy, right? So that people pleasing was the only way to be safe, was the, it was the smartest way to be safe. Um, and so there are so many moments, not just in my career, but just in life in general, where I deferred having an opinion to everyone else, right? I deferred, um, yeah, making choices for my own life, my own next steps, my own career as well to everyone else. Cause it just, it's what, it's what's done, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so the work I do now is to help, uh, folks, but particularly humans socialized as women to recognize this in our own lives because when it's the soup you're swimming in, it's impossible to see, right? Like I had no idea. I thought I, I, I'm a very smart, bold woman. Like I'm making choices for myself, but I wasn't, right? I, I wasn't. I was making the choices that were felt most safe in my dysregulated nervous system. Uh, and would people, the choices that would people please the most and, it was really once I started to see that I wasn't actually in my autonomy that I started to understand um, just what was lacking in, in all of my different relationships, right? Which was me. I was what was missing, right? Because I wasn't fully present because I wasn't in my authority, my autonomy, uh, my selfhood in a real way. I was in this persona, this, this chameleon, this shapeshifter, this other version of me that kept others happy instead of focusing on my own. So how did you become aware of it? Because to your point, like you've effectively alluded to the fact that when you're in the situation, you can't see the forest from the trees. Like, you know, like it took me years and years and, you know, months in therapy to look back at relationships 10 years ago and be like, oh, the common pattern between every one of these relationships was zero boundaries. Well, I sure. would not yeah. say no. Yeah, right on. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, no, it was it was the same thing. You know, it was really, uh, I mean, meditation and mindfulness was mm -hmm. a huge part of it. Uh, and I know meditation is not for everyone, but it it has been infinitely helpful in my life and supportive of my growing into being the person I want to be, um, the person I am now. Uh, doing that deep dive work in therapy to uh, I'm to really start to to get clarity on what right because the thread through is always one side, right like mm. so if all of your romantic relationships suck like what's the common denominator right yeah. like wherever you go there you are thanks John Kabat-Zinn there yeah there you are so what are you bringing to the table right and who do you keep attracting um what so there's this this 
thing that we do that's understood in the in the neuroscience of of human development called recreation, where we are reenactment rather, where we are trying as adults to replay situations from childhood with the hope, fingers crossed, of creating a different outcome. So if you grew up with parents with narcissistic tendencies, well, you may seek out partners with narcissistic tendencies or habits as a way to attempt to have that situation work out differently. Now, it's really unlikely to, sort of in general, right? But (laughs) by definition, dealing with folks with narcissistic habits. But when you aren't aware of your own role in the middle, and you are not living in your authenticity, and you uh, haven't done that work, right? And so the work we need to do is to ask ourselves, what am I recreating, right? What from my childhood am I trying to rewrite by doing the same darn thing over and over and over again? And instead of focusing on others uh, and relating outward, how can I bring my focus inward? Right. And mm-hmm. focus on on healing myself so I can go back out into connection with others f- towards a real framework of interdependence, yeah. which is the thing I talk about a lot. Right. It's the opposite of codependence is not independence. Right. That's talk, that's some rugged individualistic. That's some that's as white as it gets. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that, well, I think it was uh, Brian Lowry in his uh, book. uh selfless the social creation of you he said like there's really no such thing as a relationship when you're if you're in a relationship with someone you literally cannot be 100 percent independent well sure but also like i drive on public streets yeah right <laughs> we live in an interdependent world basically right and i think a lot of us have forgotten because for so many reasons um and we need to remember not just in our minds but in our bodies what uh-huh. it feels like to allow for interdependence. Because it's really scary for a lot of nervous systems, mm-hmm. right? To have that entwined dependence with others um, and to remember physiologically, like, I need other people, particularly when other people have not been reliable since childhood, right? Yeah, I don't remember where. I mean, I think I've seen the pattern enough in enough books where it's like you're trying to recreate, you know, like whatever it is, whatever parent you had the most problems with or mm-hmm. didn't get the kind of love you wanted from. Yeah, and I remember I had a really like a relationship that I ended um like about two years back, and one of my friends said she's like, "This is actually important for you." She said, "You know why? You finally did the one thing you've never been willing to do with your mom. Mm-hmm. You said no and you stood up to her, even if it means the relationship ended." That's a good friend. Yeah, it was not what I wanted to have happen, but, you know, it was also a useful, like it was, it it was the first time when I was like, I've seen this pattern enough times, I'm not going to repeat it. (laughs) Good for you. Good for you. I mean, that's, that's hard, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's a whole challenging thing because, because there is that sort of energetic within us that wants to keep suffering in the same way we've always been suffering. Because that old suffering hasn't killed us yet. Yeah. Right? And so the body is so focused on survival that it's we're willing to put up with and endure and tolerate some BS when we know that that BS won't kill us. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Let's dissect this from it perspective of science, because I'm a person who likes things sure. that are backed by facts. Like, you know, I, I mean, I have to like, you know, fact check this whole Rhode Island thing and, you know, see if it's been sure. studied in yeah. a peer reviewed journal. Yep. Yep. But you know, part yep. of the reason I wanted to have you as a guest was because you had the science background as well, because I feel like there are a lot of people who basically use anecdotal evidence and call it research, which pisses me off. 
um, mm. because I think that it's questionable. Like, yeah, there's all sorts of interesting, miraculous work, but like, I think skepticism is important when it comes to, particularly when it comes to personal development literature of any kind. And part of the reason I wanted to talk to you is because there was a science angle to this as well. Right. On. So talk to me about like how we begin to actually unwind all of these patterns. Um, and you know, you left Western medicine to do this. So talk to me about like what aspects of Western medicine still influence what you do, mm. um, what role it plays, et cetera. Right on. I actually would say that I'm very much, uh, still in. So I had a clinic. I had a private practice in New York City with a several month wait list where I was doing functional medicine. That was before the pandemic. And I would posit that the work that I'm doing now is the deepest root cause functional medicine possible. And so while I was doing DNA tests and uh, PCRs of people's stool looking for bacterial DNA and, uh, you know, was doing all this complicated, cutting edge functional medicine lab testing. And this is, this is it. This is as root cause as it gets. And so again, that's backing up to the vagus nerve and understanding that your autonomic or automatic nervous system impacts every single angle of your physiology. And so, the, the function of the vagus nerve not only impacts how much energy you have, whether you feel like you're under threat, whether you're able to relax, if you're in a happy or good mood, it also directly impacts your capacity to swallow, your cognitive function, your thyroid function, your digestive function, uh, whether you're ovulating or not, right? Um, so reproductive function, pr- reproductive wellness. Um, and then, you know, the wellness of your digestive system, if you're revved up and anxious and worried and spinning around in what's called sympathetic activation, fight or flight, an adrenalized, adrenaline-based state, when you're in that state for a predominance of time and coming back into that calm, resting part of the nervous system known as ventral vagus is challenging for you because your nervous system jacked up, then of course you're going to have diarrhea. Of course, you're not absorbing nutrients from your food. Of course, your thyroid's going to be on the revved up side, right? Because your, our mental wellness and our physical wellness are not separate things, right? They, mind and body are one and impact each other directly and proportionally, mm-hmm. right? And so I would have all these patients. My focus was GI, was gastrointest- uh, gastrointestinal health. And so I'd have patients with uh, chronic IBS, irritable bowel syndrome, SIBO, small intestine bacterial overgrowth. Um, Been through all that hell myself. Right. And so what's really important is to figure out what's the bacteria on board? What's the parasites? What's going on with the microbiome? Like actually, like you're saying, like do the sciencing. Super important. And we can't stop there. So my own story is I had digestive issues from jump, right? From being a very little kid. Um, I couldn't get the help I needed for most of my life and was really only in my, let's see, like my mid twenties that, um, I started working with functional medicine people, holistic medicine, naturopaths who did the right testing, uh, after having 
a million stool tests and all the other tests done, but they found the bugs. I had Blastocystis hominis, which is a particularly, it's a real jerk of a spirochete. Um, I had Helicobacter pylori, another real jerk of a bacterium. And the bugs I had were, were very challenging to kill in and of themselves but were remitting and remitting and remitting because no one was working with me on the the core causative factor beyond the infection, which was that my digestion was slow because my nervous system was on the defensive, right? And because my nervous system wasn't giving the appropriate First, uh, electromagnetic current into the small intestine. It's called the migrating motor complex, the MMC in the small intestine. That's what moves food along through there. Bacteria was able to overgrow in SIBO. And then in my actual gut, that peristaltic symbol, the signal, that wave-like musculature contraction that also wasn't going. It wasn't getting the correct signaling because vagus nerve, right? Because I was in this self-protective, self-defensive posture against the world. It was so checked out of presence. And so my digestion followed, frankly, because science. And so I would do the chemical antibiotics, then I would do the herbal antibiotics, I would do a combo of them, I would do all of the things. And the bugs would die, but they would come right back. And the bugs would die, but they would come right back. Because there wasn't the right uh, energetic through my physiology. And I'm not talking energetic in the woo way, though, you know, I will go there. I literally mean in the electromagnetic and muscular contractive way to move uh, my digestion in the way it needed to keep me bug free, right? To keep my microbiome balanced. And so this is what I was seeing in clinic was I was giving people all the right supplements, all the right drugs, all the right nutrition, and they would stay sick. And so I reached a point where it felt unethical to keep practicing understanding what I understand about stress, distress, and trauma, what I understand about somatic experiencing, what I understand about what we need uh, beyond Western medicine, beyond functional medicine to get to this root cause of why we're not absorbing, right? Why, why does everyone have vitamin D deficiency? Sure. Sure, we're inside too much. Sure, we're not working. <laughs> sure. But why are we not absorbing the, what we're taking or the sun we're getting? Right? Why are we not absorbing our B12? Why is there so much depression? Why is there so much anxiety? There's a million studies, right? We can talk about connection. We can talk about community. We can talk about interdependence. But what's going on with the nervous system? Right? So, yeah. I could ask you a question out of personal curiosity. So speaking of UCSF, so I got diagnosed with IBS when I was uh, right out of college. Okay. Uh, I was at a, a startup that was like a really stressful job. Like I was working probably 12 hours a day, not getting paid. Like CEO yeah. was basically firing people every month. Yeah. Three people would get fired. Startup like you just life. Knew. Right. You were on the chopping block. I mean, it sure. was like the, you know, like yeah. worst possible, like first yep. job ever. Um, and I remember I went to like half a dozen doctors and like mm. IBS is really frustrating because like, yep. like there's nothing you can do. It's, oh, it's stress a- related, whatever. Right. And then yep. they give you medication. And I was looking at the commercials and it was like side effects may include, you know, constipation, diarrhea sure. and cramps. I'm like, wait a minute. How the wait fuck at- is the side it- effect the same thing that's supposed to, right? that uh-huh. it's supposed to cure? Like I've seen this over and over. 
And I went to UCSF and I remember meeting a GI specialist there. And the guy was actually very good. And I told him, I was like, well, to be honest, the one thing that works every time, and my friends would see it, like we'd go out drinking on a night and I would be, you know, like in hell the next morning when we're going out for lunch. And I'd be like, all right, I'll give me like five minutes. I will meet you guys there. And I would smoke a bowl and they would sure. come back and they'd look at me like, what the hell happened to you? Do you look right. like a new person? Yep. And so I asked the doctor, you said, this is before weed was legal in California. And he's sure, like, sure, well, sure. if it works, do that. But right I'll tell you what changed it. It was amazing. And to this day, I will never forget this um, because I had IBS probably from the time. I mean, and it still flares occasionally. It's not bad. Sure. But it was from when I was right out of college to like graduating from business school almost. And it was when I stood up for the first time on a surfboard. I remember getting out of the water, like after surfing that day, I'm like, holy shit, it's mm -hmm. gone. Yeah. There's like this lightness because like, you know yeah. what IBS is like, it feels mm -hmm. like this just weight is in your stomach mm -hmm. and like you always feel like either bloated, full and I'm like, wait a minute, mm -hmm. I haven't felt this in decades. Like, yeah, so explain to me what, like, talk to me about the science of what the hell was happening there. I mean, joy will do that, right? Like being, yeah. being in your joy, being present. So, yeah. okay, dude, how hard do you want me to nerd right now? Because I as will. hard as you can. Okay, great. Um, I just need to double check because OSHA, you have closed toe shoes, pocket protector. Do you have some kind of safety goggle on? Are we good? Yep. Can I can I nerd safely? Okay, great. Go for it. Um. Okay. So again, the autonomic nervous system. So it is ruled by the vagus nerve. It is the tenth cranial nerve, the longest nerve in the human body. It runs from the back of the thinking part from the brain all through the middle of the animal and it enervates or gives nerve function to most of you. So the vagus nerve is looking inward and looking outward. Uh, and, and there's several layers to this, but um, interoception, looking inward, your body is constantly through the vagus nerve and the, the autonomic nervous system, checking out the body and going, we cool? You okay? Liver, how's it going? Digestion, you cool? You good? We good? And it's constantly looking outside, exteroception. There's others, proprioception, baroception. We're going to leave those be. The body's constantly saying, am I safe from the outside? Am I safe within? Am I safe from the outside? Am I safe within? Holy shit, is that a lion? Stop the digestion. Oh, no, it's a tabby cat. Forget it, forget it. Go, 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 go. Oh, she's got diarrhea. It's fine. Whatever. Okay, makes sense. We stopped, we went, we stopped, we went. So the body is constantly scanning for danger on the horizon, constantly believing that every stick in the grass is a cobra because it's safer to believe that it's a cobra and be proved wrong than to accidentally step on a cobra. Makes logic, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. So this system of all, you know, started out in humans a bajillion years ago. Yeah, that's an exact number and hasn't really evolved much since, right? We're still sort of, it is in a way binary, safe, unsafe, safe, unsafe. And so the autonomic nervous system is scanning the world and saying, will that murder me? And used to only sound the alarm of murder is nigh when murder was not. And so that signal sounds like activation um, through fear into uh, first an attachment cry. So let's say you're a baby and you're in a crib and you hear a really loud noise. The first thing you're going to do if you get frightened 
is release this attachment cry, right? You're going to cry out and see if someone will come save you, right? See if there's a grown up. If a grown up comes and they, they settle you and soothe you appropriately, we're all good. Your nervous system will stay in what's called ventral vagus. That is the safe and social part of the nervous system where everything from your brain to your pooping, everything works right, right? Like you're full out, like everything is at championship level. Now, let's say nobody comes, right? Or somebody comes and they yell at you or they come and they negate your feelings or there's another loud crash or a bang or a boom or, or the roar of a lion. From there, the baby will, you, the baby will go from ventral vagal, the safe and social part of the nervous system into sympathetic activation. So the HPA axis, the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis will get turned on and your body will start to secrete adrenaline, uh, aka freak out juice into the body. Uh, adrenaline revs us up. You know, it's, I always talk about it like it's cocaine-like, yeah, colloquially speaking. It revs the body up in case you need to fight or flight. Remember, the first thing you did as a scared human is you called out for other humans, right? We always seek social connection, social engagement first. When it doesn't arrive, we attempt to flight first, right? We recognize as humans, we're quite small. And don't come at me with like, I'm a 6'4", whatever, dude. You're way smaller than a lion. You're way smaller than a hippo or an elephant, right? So we want to get the hell out of Dodge. And so our bodies activate, send all the blood to heart and lungs, feet and paws, right? For running, pumping blood, blood pressure goes up, blood, um, your heart rate goes up, your breathing goes up into the top of your lungs. You're ready to escape danger. What else does this sound like? Oh, that's right. A panic attack, right? Your body goes into this revved up state, revved up state, revved up state. Let me ask you a question. If you thought there was a lion coming to destroy you and your entire village and you had just eaten a cheeseburger, let's say animal style, do you want your body to stop and digest it? Or do you want to keep running? No, you definitely want to keep running. Dude, right? And so that is the digestion, digestive health, IBS, nervous system link. Mm. When your body goes into sympathetic activation, digestion stops. Let's say you cannot fight or flight. You, you can't get out because you're a baby in this example. You're in a crib. You can't get out. And even though you're panicking and you're screaming and you're freaking out, you can't get out of the crib and you can't get away. Then we go from that freaked out sympathetic and we shut down. And so this is when there's a shift from, from endogenous, uh, endorphins to endogenous, endogenous cannabinoids, endogenous endorphins. So endogenous cannabinoids are released in the first part in sympathetic to help you get the hell out of dodge. And then if that doesn't work, the body starts to shut down your emotional connection and presence in the world. And that's what endogenous endorphins are released so that your pain receptors are mediated. And that's for a really smart reason, which is lions, right? So if you can't fight and you can't flight and the lion bites you, in this third stage, you are in what's called dorsal vagus. Your heart rate is low. 
your pulse is low. Everything in the body is depressed, including your capacity to feel pain, right? Your pain receptors are way mediated. Your emotions are blunted, right? You're not feeling the fullness of, of mood. You're just feeling low because your body doesn't want you to actually be present uh, and associated with self in this dangerous moment. Right. And so that's dissociation in depression. Uh, or when somebody like, yeah, you're at dinner with somebody and then all of a sudden they're like, get that four majillion foot stare and they're just not in the room. Right. Yeah. That's dissociation. That's checking out of the moment. It's a survival skill, right? It's your body trying to keep you alive while something terrible is happening or while the memory of something terrible is happening. The di- your digestion doesn't work then either. So whether it's anxiety, worry, panic, or depression, check out, right, unintentional living, your digestion doesn't work in either state. So you in that stressful startup, me and most of my life, our digestion was like, you know what, forget about it. Just forget about it. There's way more important things to be doing And so we're not going to turn on those systems I was talking about earlier, the migrating motor complex in the small intestine or the peristaltic wave in the large, Mm -hmm. right? And so it's this bi-directional thing where when our mood is low, when we are depressed or when we are anxious, secondary to life, whatever bacteria, good and bad may be on board, whatever good we're lacking as well. I mean, we can leave the microbiome aside for two seconds, but our bodies are constantly getting these signals of safe or unsafe, digestion on, digestion. Mm. And so that's why when you ask, like, what helped the most? Presence. Connecting with my intuition. Coming back into intentional living. That is what helped to heal my gut the most. Um, and a fistful of antibiotics, <laughs> right? Like, I'm never... <laughs> uh, I'm, yes... UCSF trained NP first and foremost, right? Please find the bug, kill the bug. But the bug won't stay dead and won't stay gone. If you are ramped up in sympathetic activation, thinking the world is ending, or you're collapsed into dorsal, when all that adrenaline's gone and you're in this acetylcholine state, your gut's still not moving, right? Mm -hmm. And so we really need a... truly holistic approach, both to mood and to digestive wellness, GI wellness, if we're to find health in either camp. Yeah. So this raises several questions, some of which are related and some of which are not. You know, it got me thinking about my uh, 10-month-old nephew. So my sister came back to my parents' house for maternity leave. Like, we were all here, me, me, uh, my sister, my brother-in-law, my parents, um, Mm -hmm. and both my parents' siblings. So this guy literally, every day of his life from the time mm-hmm. he was two weeks old, woke up like fucking Eddie Murphy and coming to America, like a damn <laughs> prince. Literally every morning he would wake up and everybody's just waiting and he wakes up and everybody's there looking at him. This kid wakes up with an ear to ear smile on his face every morning. Mm. Okay. He's like the happiest, like most I mean, confident baby you'll ever yeah. meet. And so I like, and my sister talked to me, like he really does not like it when people leave. Like he's starting to, become more aware of that like he 
you know, he got upset because he knew, you know, my parents and I were visiting and he loves having people around. Like that's his element. He's like right. the most social kid. He's also the biggest flirt. Like he likes mm. beautiful women a lot. Like literally I had a friend come over. He looks at my friend kind of. I don't eyes know that down. we need to sexualize a 10 month old. No, I don't think he's flirting. I think. Yeah, but he's funny. I mean, he's okay. hilarious. But he's it's connecting. But it, His social yeah, engagement system is active. Let's call it that instead of flirting, shall we? Well, we like to call it flirting because it's more fun. Anyways, point being, um, what, the reason I'm asking about this is like, what impact, uh, like, does that whole idea of like just waking up surrounded? It, like, it's almost like he's being taught, yeah, I'm the king of the world and everybody's here for me. Like, and something tells me that that has had like a profoundly positive impact on his yeah. emotional development. It sounds like it. I mean, it sounds like he has a, what's called secure attachment. Right. Where yeah. he believes that it's OK and it's safe to attach to other people um, because it's it sounds like it's only ever been safe to be connected yeah. with other people. That's always been a, a healthy thing in his world that's led to more and more joy. And that's that's a really beautiful thing. Yeah, I love it. We're just like whatever we have to do to keep this going. Yeah, uh, for sure. But then, you know, like, who, some, I don't remember who it was. It was some famous authors, like, nobody gets out of childhood without enough scars to, like, write a book, right? You know, like, basically, I think all of us who have been through childhood have enough material that we could literally write novels for decades if we wanted to. Like, half the time, I feel like my work is an attempt to solve all the issues of my childhood. Mm. So, Leo, so talk to me about that. You know, we, we kind of alluded to it earlier, but, like, you know, we have all this baggage that we have to unwind. So you know, we started with the, the nervous system stuff, like the sciencey stuff. Let's talk mm -hmm. about the, the sort of emotional regulation component of this. Like, how does a person go from being anxious, overwhelmed and perfectionistic to somebody who like is just OK with themselves uh, or to, to put it simply, be the way my nephew is like just mm -hmm. goes to the world like I'm awesome and, you know, everything is awesome. Yeah, I mean. I work with people for many, many, many months, if not years, right? Um, this is the work of a lifetime is this kind of healing to bring ourselves into regulation. So people hear that word, you know, there's a lot of like, it's like hashtag bounty to bantied about a lot um, and is worth defining. So when we're talking about regulation in the nervous system, we're talking about not just being this joyful 10 year month old all the time, but rather having the full range of human emotions and being able to bring ourselves back into ventral vagal um, with love and care and kindness and compassion, right? So not shutting down our lived experience outside of ventral vagal because it's, it's important to have adrenaline. It's important to be quiet, right? Like there's no shavasana, there's no meditation without dorsal which is the which is the uh the at its extreme the freeze part of the nervous system um we need every part of the nervous system right it's all towards our benefit when it's in balance and regulating our nervous system is about our capacity to restore that balance within ourselves so with that said um there are so many mod modalities for coming into ever greater regulation within ourselves. Uh, I use a lot of somatic or body-based practices, and that's what I teach my clients. I have a six-month program where called Anchored, where we dive deep 
and really take a look at what our thought habits are and what we're holding in our bodies, because we know very clearly that uh, the stress, distress and trauma of not just our lifetimes, but like we said a million hours ago at the start of this conversation, um, our ancestral trauma uh, lies in the body, right? It's mm -hmm. physiologic. We can talk about epigenetics, right? We can talk about how things are carried from one generation to the other. And we are most able to show up in the world as the version of ourselves we want to be loving, creative, caring, kind, compassionate, generous, accepting when we are showing up for ourselves in those ways and when we allow others to show up for us in those ways, right? Mm -hmm. So it's not just about being kind, but it's about receiving love and care too and beginning to to learn how to have our own backs and to show up for ourselves and be compassionate with ourselves so that it feels ever safer for others to be kind to us. Because for a lot of us, that wasn't safe in childhood, right? Mm -hmm. It wasn't a safe thing to have attention um, or to receive care. You know, it's beautiful that it is for your 10-month-old nephew. Uh, and most of us have have some work to do to get back to them. It's funny you say that. Like I, I did the landmark form and I remember they, you know, earlier on, they, they, they talk about the landmark form for kids and the landmark form for kids is like four hours. The one mm -hmm. for adults is like three and a half days. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I was like, okay, well, they're like, because you guys are all screwed up. Like kids just click, they get it and we're done with them in like mm -hmm. an hour. Right. Because they don't have as much baggage as you guys do. Sure. Yeah. They've been around <laughs> a lot less time. Yeah. Well, so I think I want to you know, wrap this up. Like, you know, people are going to walk away from this this conversation probably with a lot of questions. Uh, and like, if we were to like day to day, like on an everyday basis, like implement these ideas into our life, like where would you have somebody start? Presence. Presence is my immediate go to. I think most of us are walking around and I know I was, and I know most of my clients are uh, walking around really detached from self, which again is a beautiful survival skill that really served you at some point. And we reach a point in our adult lives where not being present to this short human experience um, no longer serves us, right? Being checked out, being um, in a story of our own creation, right? Not being in our human bodies, not being really alive in our lives um, is detrimental to our growth and to the, our evolution as, as people, right? As souls or spirits or whatever your own personal languaging is. Mm -hmm. And so I would really start with presence and cultivating presence. And that can just be as simple and easy because I love simple and easy. The nervous system loves simple and easy. Just getting present to the choices you're making on the daily and asking yourself if you are making those choices from choicefulness or if you're making them from. So do you actually like drinking coffee in the morning? Like, does that feel good in your tummy? Does that is that a real loving choice that you are making for yourself every day? Because I was just doing it out of habit. I was just waking up and drinking coffee because I don't know, it's the morning. Isn't that what we do? 
but it actually didn't feel good in my body. And I never stopped to ask till I stopped to ask. Right. And so from there, do you like the clothes you wear? Do you like the job you're going to? Do you, right, starting to hold space for your own truth to shine through you. Uh, and that can be really challenging when you've never given yourself that spaciousness and when the world hasn't given you that spaciousness. And so you get to go as slowly as you need to to not freak your nervous system out. But get started, right? That that would mm-hmm. be my best advice. Just get started. Okay, so I realized I had one question that I didn't ask you um, specifically about dissociation and, and kind of like... Sure. This is like, I had a, a breakup that just made a mess of my head. And I remember mm-hmm. right after it happened, I I think I drank like half a bottle of whiskey and smoked two packs of cigarettes in one sure. day. And I realized I was trying to numb whatever I was feeling. Yeah, of course. Um, so explain that to me. Like, explain the signs of like, what the hell is going on there from a nervous system standpoint. Why you were buffering against your feelings? Yeah, like why was I doing everything I could to, like I realized I was like, I was trying to numb, you know, whatever pain I was feeling. Yeah, I think for most most of us, we're not taught how to be with our feelings in a way that felt safe or okay, right? Yeah. A lot of us learned, you know, I feel like it's it's the dominant narrative in the in the U.S., right? That like our feelings, and it's the, the subcurrent narrative, but that feelings aren't safe, our feelings aren't good, um, feelings are we don't know how to feel our feelings in a in a truly loving way, and so. We live in a culture of numbing. We live in a culture where we're taught to to buy things, right? To mm-hmm. have a coat, to have more booze, to really step out of consciousness and step out of grounding in self. And so because we don't learn how to be with our feelings safely, um, safely meaning in a way that doesn't completely sort of flip the lid on our, our nervous system, when large feelings arrive, We've been really inculcated. We've been really trained up to want to escape those feelings at all costs, right? Yeah. Um, and particularly when having big feelings is tantamount to death and doom in our nervous system. Um, particularly when growing up, we didn't see adults having healthy connections with their own nervous systems uh, yeah. and their, right, and their own emotions and feelings. Well, I'm laughing because Indians, I jokingly say, like, you know, like I don't, I remember my therapist is like, oh, your love languages are, are, you know, physical touch and words of affirmation. I was like, well, Indian parents are illiterate when it comes to those two things. Like, we're just not physically affectionate people. Like, it, it, like at least in my family, they're not. Yeah. I mean, with a baby, it's totally different. That kid gets, sure. like, you know, more affection. He's also the first grandchild, so he literally is like a prince. Um, yeah. but like I noticed that was one thing I, I noticed is that like, I think in the like, well, 40 something years, my parents have been married. Like I've seen them kiss each other once. And I remember the first time I saw it, I was like, oh, that's disgusting. I don't want to see that again. Cause it's just like, we never saw our, our parents be physically affectionate with each other or even with us. Like, it, yeah. it, like when my dad, like my sister hugs my dad, it's the funniest thing. Cause it's so awkward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so those things that were not used to feel uncomfortable in the nervous system. They don't feel safe. They don't feel smart, you know? And so the body tries to avoid those sensations. Again, because Mm -hmm. if we haven't done that thing and survived, where's the evidence, right? We have no evidence within us that we will survive whatever it is. So Mm -hmm. why would we do it, you know? 
Well, this has been absolutely fascinating. I have one final question for you, which is how we finish all of our interviews at the Unmistakable Creative. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? When they are standing in their authenticity. Yeah. When we are standing in the truth of who we are, we are unmistakably ourselves. Um, I must say, I'm, I'm tempted to go into a non-dualistic uh, <laughs> retelling of the whole concept of being unmistakable, but <laughs> I think it's really when we're standing in our truth as as the person we know ourselves most to be. Amazing. Well, uh, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us and share your story and your wisdom and insights with our listeners. Where can people find out more about you and your work and everything else? Yeah, so my podcast is called Feminist Wellness. It's for humans of all genders. And it's about these things. It's about uh, the psychology of wellness, polyvagal theory, all kinds of nerd talk over there. Uh, and that's free wherever you get your podcasts. Um, you can find me on the gram. I give good gram at Victoria Albino Wellness. And if you head on over to my website, victoriaalbina.com, there is a special treat there just for your listeners. So if you go to victoriaalbina.com slash unmistakable, you can download a suite of meditations, inner child uh, meditations, nervous system exercises for free just for listening to your show. Amazing. And for everybody listening, we will wrap the show with that. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch, the skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.